Well, welcome to Keystone Church Online. I want to begin by just a couple of thank yous. I'll be able to thank you, first of all, for tuning in, uh, for joining us while we are uh, apart. Uh, to be able to do it together uh, is a real joy. And so we're grateful that you've chosen to stream uh, or download this service. Staff and elders are praying that you would find this experience to be something that would uh, encourage your souls, uh, challenge you uh, to know God more and to experience uh, the fullness of God as we grasp his love. Second thank you goes out to those of you who uh, are caring and loving one another in this season. There are stories that are starting to trickle in. Um, I got an email from the factory ministries uh, who wanted to extend gratitude to Keystone, and I'll extend that out to you uh, for your response to volunteer needs in the community. I've also heard some stories starting the trickle in of how you are caring for your neighbors, uh, reaching out to speak with them, to connect with them, uh, and sometimes even to serve them by uh, purchasing whatever they might need to be able to survive this season. I've also been encouraged by the stories that I've heard of uh, you continuing to meet together in small groups. These stories of hearing how the church is caring for one another and the community uh, is an encouragement to my soul, so thank you for that. Maybe the third thank you would be able to say, uh, thank you for your generosity. A few Sundays ago, I stood before you and said, uh, finances are uh, looking bleak right now with the church. And we rely on the generosity of God to meet the needs of the church through the generosity of his church's people. And so we have seen an uptick, and it seems like finances might be stabilizing. And so I wanted to extend a thank you to those of you who believe in our mission, want to be a part of the team that is resourcing uh, those who are in our care with whatever they need for life and ministry. And so I wanted to say thank you. Before I pray for us, I'd like to just remind you one more time that uh, if you are in need during this season, if you have financial needs, if you have emotional needs, if you have spiritual needs, the church wants to rally around you during this time. You can go on to keystonechurch.org compassion to be able to uh, click a link that would say, I need help, or on the other side, I want to help. And so we'd encourage you, as you have conversations with people in the church, as you're learning about what are their new rhythms, what are their new struggles, are they working, are they in need, if you come across any of those needs, you can click that link maybe on someone else's behalf and just tip off our compassion ministry team uh, that you had a conversation with somebody and as you spoke with them, you felt like they just might need a little help and they can reach out. So let me pray for us uh, as we begin our worship service. Father, we turn our faces to you, the maker of heaven and earth, the one to whom all things owe their life and breath. Lord, we want to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. Lord, I ask that you would continue to bless Keystone Church in the midst of this crisis, that you'd continue to protect us from the effects of the virus, whether health-wise or financially-wise. Lord, I pray that you would build up in us a kind of faith that has a robust stability to it, that we would not be tossed to and fro, but we might gain maturity and gain strength during this season. Lord, we thank you for your providence and your provision 
for Keystone during this season and ask that you'd continue to bless us that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, as we move into a season of worship and of examining your word, I pray, Lord, that you would open, open our eyes to know the love of Jesus Christ. And that as we are strengthened to know the height and breadth and length and depth, that we might be able to experience the fullness of God. Lord, thank you. Lead us now in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in the United States, we have a history um, and take some pride in being very independent, very self-sufficient. Uh, we have a can-do attitude. We, we, we teach our children um, in the workplace, on our sports teams, that if you apply yourself, you can pretty much do anything. You can become anyone. You can accomplish anything. Thomas Edison, who was probably America's greatest inventor ever, he had almost 1,100 patents just in the United States alone and more outside. He argued our greatest weakness lies in giving up, that the most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And so it doesn't matter whether we're trying to uh, learn to play the violin or play basketball or uh, field hockey and get better grades or try to land a particular love interest, maybe a, land a dream job. Whether it's an inner voice or our parents or an encouraging friend um, or coach, we hear the, the constant refrain, you can do it, you can do it. If you apply enough self-effort, if you have enough determination, you can accomplish anything by trying hard enough. When I was in fourth grade, my mother had a uh, talk with my teacher that I didn't find out about for a number of years. Once I did, it explained a lot. It was a parent-teacher's conference, and Mrs. Dowd told my mother that night that if Keith wanted to, he could get straight A's. And my mother believed her. Now, I, wasn't, I was a decent student in elementary school, A's, B's, some C's. But when I got to middle school, everything changed. I got into some coursework that, I, frankly, I just didn't, I couldn't comprehend, I couldn't grasp, especially in the science and math areas. I was taking chemistry. Pastor Brandon, who used to teach high school chemistry, wouldn't understand that difficulty, but I struggled. Uh, we had what was called new math back then, which is probably pre-algebra now. I struggled. And I got my first D and uh, came dangerously close to getting an F. And when I got to high school, I continued to struggle in science and math, ended up with a C plus average through those four years. The bottom line was that Mrs. Dowd had her opinion, but she was mistaken. There were some things that I was never going to be that good at, that I was never going to be able to grasp properly and understand fully. It's true that effort can defeat failure. It can take us further than we thought. And then again, there are some things that we're just not that good at. We don't have the talent for. We don't have the ability in. We don't have the strength to do. And sometimes determination just won't take us where we'd like to go. That is especially true when we get into the spiritual realm. And we're talking about things like fighting sin and the powerful forces that are behind temptation. So this morning we want to talk about how it is that we can defeat sin and what we have to be careful about. 
And I hope that you have in your mind an, an area or maybe several areas that you look back in your life and you say, this has been an ongoing challenge for me. I, I think I have a victory here and there and then it, it just goes over the cliff and I seem to again and again and again stumble in this area or in that area. Let's listen in as we hear about uh, the Apostle Peter and his struggles with, uh, with sin. This is uh, in Luke chapter 22, and we'll start reading in verse 31. This is on the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is shortly before he was arrested. And he pulls the apostle Peter uh, 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 to one side and has a conversation, a private conversation with him. And this is what he says. Simon, Simon, and this would have been Peter's original name. Jesus uh, renamed him Peter. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Now let's drop down to verse 54 and pick up the story after Jesus is arrested. And so they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Jesus, or Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Father, I'd like to think that I am strong enough to defeat temptation when it comes my way, to beat back sin. I'd like to think that I have enough in me, enough loyalty, enough faith, enough uh, determination, enough conviction that I'm going to win a battle against sin. Unfortunately, my track record says otherwise. And I suppose that would be true for all of us. And maybe the problem is not so much that we're not strong enough, but we don't look for strength in the right places. I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it individually to each of our lives so that we come away from just a little bit better um, strategy, a little bit better plan with our confidence in the right place to defeat sin in our lives. We pray against the enemy who desperately wants us not to have a strategy, desperately wants us not to be able to defeat sin. We pray against him, and uh, this time that he would have no voice, that he would have no influence in Jesus' name. Amen.
what we're talking about this morning is old-fashioned, garden-variety sanctification. The Bible talks about the time from the, when we come to faith in Christ until we, when we go home to glory, that there is this sanctification process. Sanctify means to be made holy where we are becoming more and more godly, more and more faithful, more and more uh, like Jesus, a better and better disciple, obeying God more and more frequently. That's what sanctification is, becoming more and more holy. And unlike our salvation, our justification, which is a solo act, totally by Jesus himself, sanctification is a joint effort where we walk hand in hand with God, carrying out the call on our lives. And the most fundamental passage that speaks to this is Philippians chapter 2, starting in the middle of verse 12, where Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. So clearly, there's a call on our lives to be, um, to be sanctified. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. And now he fleshes out what that means. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Obeying God. So the uh, acting out or the, the working out of our salvation is the increasing obedience to God. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so this, this shows us that this isn't, our, this isn't a solo act on our part just as it's not a subtle act on God's part. But God is behind the scenes, uh, changing our affections, changing our desires, changing our will, changing our intent, intentions, so that we can indeed carry out the call to work hard to show the results of your salvation. And Jesus pulls Peter aside and has this private conversation with him, and he tells him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I don't know if you caught that when we read through it the first time. But who in the world is Jesus talking about that Satan has asked, apparently, permission from to do what he wants to do? Satan has asked. Well, there's only one being in the universe that is stronger than Satan. Only one that he has to consult with. Only one that he has to ask permission from. We see this in the book of Job. It's a testament to that Satan is on God's leash, that he can't do anything that God doesn't permit him to do. And so God gave Satan permission to afflict Job. And apparently he has come to the Father again and asked for permission to test Peter and the rest of the disciples. He's asked to sift each of you like wheat. Now, if you have a more literal translation, it might simply say, he's asked to sift you like wheat. But in English, uh, we, we use the word you for singular as well as plural. Greek has some distinctions, and we're able to tell which is which. And so he says, Satan, uh, Satan has asked to sift you, plural, meaning, as the NLT renders it, all of you. S Satan's got... You, Peter, in his crosshairs, but he also has Andrew, and he has James and John, and he has Bartholomew, and he has uh, Judas, and he has Thomas. You're all in his crosshairs. 
He wants to sift you like wheat. So you take wheat and you beat it so that you can separate the chaff from the grain and you throw it up in the air and the grain is heavier and it doesn't blow away, the chaff, but the chaff does. What he wants to do is to urge you to sin. What he wants to do is to separate you like the wheat and the chaff, separate you from your faith. And Jesus says, but I've prayed for you, Simon. There's something going on here more than just the temptation. I have interceded for you. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. I'm going to get back to this in more depth in a few minutes. It would have been a great opportunity for Peter to say, oh, wow, I'm up against the big guns. I, I need help here. Jesus, how can, how can you help me? And instead, in verse 33, we see an incredible amount of misplaced confidence. As soon as Jesus has said, this is what's going to happen, and this is what I want you to do when you've uh, turned to me again, Peter says, Lord, uh, you don't need to worry about this. I am ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready even to die with you. I, I've got your back. I'm going to be loyal to the end no matter what danger I face, no matter what the threat I, I'm up against. You can count on me, Jesus. Incredible amount of misplaced self-confidence. Now, there is a huge difference between doing the best we can, exerting the, be the best effort we can uh, put forth, doing the best we can and trusting our best effort. Huge difference between doing the best that we can and trusting our best effort. Because Peter is going to fail spectacularly. Incredible uh, failure to come, come through. And the reasons for that, I think, are twofold. One, he didn't grasp how powerful temptation would be. He did not grasp how powerful the temptation was going to be. And my guess is that many of us can look back in our lives, maybe even very recently, and, and we see a, a temptation that we came up against. Maybe it was one of this, these main areas that seemed to always uh, afflict us, always seem to draw us away from Christ. Um, and the temptation starts out, it, it just approaches us and tiptoes into our lives and we miscalculate how powerful it's going to be. And we think that we can go down the road this far, this far, this far, and by the time we're into it, we're too late. We're trapped. We initially wrongly think this is not going to be that big of a deal. And by the time we discover it's a very big deal, it's too late. The second reason I think that Peter failed so badly is he did not grasp how unreliable his determination was. Or you could just say he didn't realize how powerless how weak he was, that he was not going to simply by force of will, by determination, by true grit, he was not going to be able to stand firm. Paul gives a great warning to believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, 10, uh, verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and that's reassuring. In other words, our neighbors in the church, 
people that know Christ just like we do. They struggle just like we do with the same kinds of things as we do. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so then you can endure it. Notice how much of the Father and his work is in there, though. This is not going to be a solo performance. You can't scale the cliff on your own. He's going to have uh, limits to the temptation. He is going to provide the way out for you so that you can endure. Two things that led to Peter's downfall. One, he didn't grasp the power of the temptation. And two, he didn't grasp how unreliable his own determination would be. <laughs> you see, when Peter's tempted, just like when we are, we need to bring a tank to the fight. And Peter only brought a cap gun along to this fight. Satan plans to trip you up. That was the word that Jesus initially brought to Peter. The second message he brought to him, though, was the second point in the message. Your Savior is ready to lift you up. Your Savior is ready to lift you up. Because what Jesus brings to the fight of the temptation of sin is a tank. He is the tank. And so he tells Peter, I have, I've already prayed for you. I know what's coming down the pike for you. And I have already prayed for you. Can you imagine how wonderful and glorious that would be? To, to face temptation and be able to pull out your phone and call up Jesus and say, would you pray for me? We do that with our friends in the church. Would you pray for me? How awesome that would be if we could do that with Jesus. Well, I got news for you. That's exactly what he will do for you. This, this is a truth that I've just been coming to very, very recently that Jesus still intercedes for us. I know the language of the New Testament talking about Jesus interceding and being our advocate and being our high priest and so forth, but I always thought that more of a, a metaphorical idea that um, Jesus is our high priest in that he bore our sins on the cross. End of story. He took upon his shoulders the Father's wrath. End of story. This is important enough. We're going to hang out here a little bit. Let me take you starting in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. So then, we have a great high priest, the writer's talking about Jesus, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Since we have this great high priest, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Since we have this great high priest, let us hold firmly to what we, we believe. There's a call to steadfastness, a call to endurance, a, a call to um, standing with Jesus Christ. This high priest, meaning Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He gets it. For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So reassuring, so encouraging, so hopeful. Verse 16. So... Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. In other words, it's not just a picture of Christ having gone to the cross for us, but the ongoing, outflowing, intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that is there any time and every time that we need it. There we will receive his mercy. There we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let's keep plumbing the depths of this. The next page, Hebrews 7, verse 25, uh, starting 24. And here the writer is contrasting Jesus as an eternal high priest with the Old, uh, Old Testament high priests who lived and then died. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. And therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Now, he's not just talking, though, about the moment of salvation because he goes on to say he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And so a Peter or a Keith or a Brandon or a Jesse or a Martha or a Heather can all go to Jesus and ask for his intercession day and night, anytime we have the need of it. We're not done yet. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. All right, that's God's great desire for us, that we walk in purity. But the fact of the matter is we all stumble and fall. John has just said that, verse 8. If we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and we're showing the word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I am writing to you this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, so now we're drawn back in. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Every time we sin, we can run to Jesus and he is our, our intercessor. He is the one who goes to bat for us with the Father. Jesus still can and does pray for us with the Father. This is not just a metaphorical advocacy. This is the real deal. He goes to bat for us. We'll finish off with Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans 8, 34. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us, interceding for us. We have a group of people in the congregation here at Keystone that get regular e emails through the week saying, would you pray for this person? Would you pray for this need? And those group of prayers are called intercessors because they intercede for other people. They pray for other people with Father. And Jesus is an intercessor as well, always seated at the right hand of the Father. So he's always available to plead for us. Some of you at Keystone Church remember a great saint by the name of John Bruckman. Passed away five, six years ago. John was a deep lover of Jesus. He used to teach at a Christian college and then later seminary. He was theologically brilliant mind, but he also had a deep, deep love for Christ. Lived at our house for two years. And over the years, as we would have conversations, 
almost every conversation would at some point turn to John talking about the session, S-E-S-S-I-O-N, the, the seating, the session of Christ at the right hand of the Father. The picture of when Jesus goes back, after he's raised from the dead, goes back to heaven to be with the Father, and he is seated. This session, the seating next to the Father. And I could predict every time the conversation turned to that point, the tears would begin to fall down John's face as he pictured in his mind his Savior sitting next to the Father, pleading and interceding for John, and I never got it. I do now. That Peter would have had this grand opportunity when Jesus said, I'm praying for you, for Peter to turn and say, well, pray for me more. I, I don't want to fall. I don't want to fail. What, what, what can you do to help me, my Savior? What needs to happen so that I can be strong enough to face this testing? Jesus will pray for you and go to the Father. Peter failed to learn the lesson that night, although he would later of his own weaknesses. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians. We've, we've turned to this passage a number of times in the last few months, and I, I'm not sure why. It's always pertinent. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know the story, where it says that Satan, a messenger from Satan, was sent to Paul to keep him from becoming prideful. Again, it was another instance of God having a purpose in this messenger from Satan, different from Satan's purpose. Satan had to ask permission. God gave him permission. Satan's plan was to destroy him. God's plan was to humble him. And we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. We know it was painful. And verse 8, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. You've all experienced sickness, disease, pain, disappointment, relational conflict, not getting what you long to get, weakness. And Paul says each time the Lord responded this way, <clears throat> my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. And that might be enough, but he goes on to explain why that is so important, not just to get by, not just so you can suck it up and endure, but my power, the Lord says, my power works best in weakness. In other words, when you are strong enough and when you have enough determination and you have enough, uh, you, you put forth enough effort and you have a, a big enough can-do attitude, My, my power doesn't work as well as it does when you don't have any of those things and when you are actually weak. In other words, when people see your frailty, that's when I get the admiration. That's when I get the glory. That's when I get the fame. When people see your own competency, that's when you get fame. My power works best in weakness. And Paul says, I get it now. So... Now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I now take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults 
and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ because when I'm weak, that's when I'm actually strong. I've been wrestling again with the pain of <clears throat> my back um, after the surgery last fall. Didn't go well. Things actually worse than before. And I was making some incremental progress a couple of months ago, and then I went backwards again. Just get a few hours of sleep a night. It is this that sustains me, and this that keeps me from complaining, and this that gives me hope. That in my own weakness, Christ's power is made manifest. It's seen, even if nobody else sees it. I see it. And the spiritual forces of both good and wickedness in the heavenly places see it. Christ is made much of in, in our weakness. And boy, did Peter's weakness show up. He's sitting across the fire that night from the same soldiers who would have arrested Jesus and brought him to the high priest's house. There's no large light, only the light of the fire. So I'm sure that Peter didn't want to stay too close to the fire. He didn't want to be recognized, but somebody did see him. You're one of them. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I can tell it by your accent. And one of the gospel writers tells that on this final lie, Peter told it with an oath. He swore. People swear when they don't think other people will believe them. People swear usually because they don't have a habit of telling the truth. People swear because they don't have a habit of telling the truth and they want to convince people otherwise in this instance. I don't even know him. Peter denied Jesus, but did he ditch his faith? Satan wants to sift you guys and separate you from your faith. Jesus had already assured him that's not going to happen. When you repent and turn to me again, that's what repentance is, turning from sin, turning to Christ. When you repent and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter did repent. Verse 62 says that at that moment when he denied Christ for the final time, he turned and looked in the room where Jesus was being held. And at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at him. They didn't have windows in the classic sense of the word. They were big openings so that the hot air in the summer could blow through. And the two men made eye contact. And in that moment, Peter remembered, you're going to deny me, Peter. Not just once or twice, but three times. And verse 62 says that Peter went out weeping bitterly. You know, when you sin, you can weep and it not be repentance. You weep because you got caught. You weep because there's some bad consequence to your sin. But the writer of the Hebrews says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. 
And when you're really broken by your sin, it's not unusual for there to be tears. Because you realize what you were called to, be, to do, who you were called to be as this child of God whose who's, who's, uh, life has been bought with the bloody stripes in Jesus' back. And you have violated him. You have failed him. And there is a brokenness. By the way, if there is not a brokenness for sin, that should set off red flags. If there's a hardness in your heart about sin, and it doesn't bother you, and it doesn't move you, you should examine what is in your heart. But Peter went out and wept bitterly. And I love that line. <laughs> even before Peter was tempted, even before he was sinned, Jesus is promising him, when you have repented, come back and do ministry. Strengthen your brothers. <laughs> oh, the grace and the mercy of Jesus. For those who fight sin and sometimes lose and maybe often lose, Jesus does not abandon you. And nor will he lay you aside like a discarded bottle never to be reused again. And when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. My friends, if you're a Christian, this is normal Christianity. And if you're not a Christian, this is normal Christianity. You need to understand that having the the, the, the reconciliation with God through, through faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean we never sin again. Sometimes people outside the church have this notion that people inside the church are, are good people in the sense that, man, they're, they're holy now. They don't sin anymore. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. The people inside the church know intimately how unholy they are. That's why they've turned to Christ to become their holiness, to become their righteousness before God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become a righteousness in him. We could gain Christ's righteousness because we, we've got none of our own. This is normal Christianity, temptation, sometimes falling, and then repentance and restoration. We don't lose our we don't lose our salvation when we sin. We, there's a broken communication, broken fellowship there with Jesus, but we're not broken off. We're not broken away. Normal Christianity. And then Jesus restores Peter to ministry. Strengthen your brothers. So what is the sin in your life that so easily afflicts, afflicts you? Where are the weak spots in your life that Satan knows oh so well? And he comes again and again with his tempting powers. Is it a critical spirit? The one that you think about late at night when everyone else is in bed and you think, man, all I did today was pick, pick, pick on my kids or my spouse or my colleagues at work or people I go to school with. Or maybe a short fuse. Temper explodes in a moment, and it explodes often. Maybe you embellish stories because of the laughs that they get you, or you are stingy. Or you have an unhappy marriage, and so you have a fantasy partner that you go back to again and again. 
or maybe, truth be told, your life is all but prayerless. I don't have any magic to offer you today, but I do have supernatural power to offer you in Jesus Christ. Because you and I are going to win the fight against sin. Not through our own self-effort, not through our own determination, but through basic prayer, submission to God, and repentance. And we've got an incredible ally in heaven. Lean on your Savior, not on yourself. Because Jesus died for your victory. He didn't die for your defeat. He died so that you can and I can have victory. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that the one who lives in the Christian is far greater, far superior, far stronger than the one that lives in the world who is always tempting, who's trying to sift us like we separate us from our faith. And we're grateful that we have an advocate with the Father. The one who goes to bat for us again and again, who intercedes, who pleads with you in our behalf. We love you. And we are grateful for the mission that you mounted through your son, Jesus Christ. To save us from the consequences of sin and to save us from the power of sin and to save us from the defeat of sin. We thank you for our Savior, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us online. Uh, you can continue to take some action steps out of this message. You can go on to keystonechurch.org compassion uh, and fill out a form that would let us know that you need help or that you want to help. Uh, you can go into keystonechurch.org give uh, and give online to continue to support ministries like this. Uh, you can also stay, if you are streaming with us, uh, on the page and click the live prayer link so that you can have somebody intercede uh, to God on your behalf. And we look forward to seeing you next time.